0: This Prime. It's a promotion and relegation special as we look to right the wrongs of our rankings across the podcast season. Hello and welcome to by far the greatest team, a podcast in which football fans attempt to decide once and for all who is the greatest football team of all time. Sometimes, like Ron Saunders guiding Aston Villa to the title using just 14 players, greatness is a given. Other times, like John Gregory's Villa sitting at the top of the league in 1999, its greatness feels more like a hallucination. You're not quite sure it really happened. My name's Graham Dunn, self-appointed arbiter of football greatness, whose main role is to find ways to uh probar Oxygen United into stories of greatness where they don't belong. And joining me as ever is our very own Andy Townsend in the tactics truck.
1: It's uh, Jamie Rooney. Andy Townsend is brilliant. I absolutely love Andy Townsend. You've just put me in the best mood possible with that reference. I when ITV lost the Champions League, it was a dark day. That we lost Andy Townsend and his incredible insights into football commentary.
0: Not for me, Clive. Not for me. <laughs> 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 I like, okay, I like Townsend too. I think he was good. I like the. I really enjoyed that. What I enjoyed most about that was that attempt because that was that was at a stage whenever anyone took over the football, they, the coverage they felt they had to try and. Improve or make a step change, and and that was the whole ITV and Des Liner moving across. And I think they were quite influenced by recreating the S- Simon Hughes and the Analyst and what you'd done with the uh, on the Channel Four cricket a couple of years before. But um I think cricket kind of lends itself to that game, whereas it just sort of looked like they had let Andy Townsend <laughs> out out of the truck.
1: Yeah, the the, the data revelations of uh, football where it all started. I, don't know, I think Andy Andy Tyson was behind the curve on that one. Bless him. So here we
0: are. This is this is a special and a, and a slightly different, by far the greatest team football podcast this week. And um, we're about to go off for our, our summer holidays tonight. And uh, no sooner does the uh, summer holidays begin than the pre planning for the season begins. And we are going to be keeping going throughout the summer with a few small lo-fi pods so we're going to be dipping in and keeping going so there'll still be something in every week pre-season friendlies i think uh, was the name we settled on in the end
1: it's a fantastic (laughs) way to describe them they really are going to be pre-season friendlies
0: and i must say uh, we're absolutely delighted to to seen that the podcast has has made it into the list of the best podcasts of the year so far according to guardian readers uh which is absolutely fantastic. We must thank all everyone who's been listening, feeding back. We've been really we've chuffed a bits to um with how how it's gone, and we've got a we're we're having the time of our lives doing this, aren't we, Jamie?
1: We are, and we're so grateful for the way that people receive this podcast and what we put together. We get some amazing feedback. Uh, we are lucky enough to have a great set of uh, listeners. Um, that I have been able to share our podcast. And as you say, Greg, we, we've been featured on the Guardian website, which is, uh, for you and I, probably a bit of a dream, I think. And it's probably only the right thing to do to give special thanks to Matt Walters, age 48, from High Wycombe, who indeed did share his views of why he enjoyed this particular podcast, and that's where we got flagged and how we got flagged in The Guardian, along with a lot of other people that shared their views. But Matt was the one that got sounded out, and we really appreciate that Matt has allowed us to uh, live that dream, Graham.
0: It is. That's the place I'm always aspiring to get to. So so that's super exciting.
1: So we thought that
0: before we close down this uh, season, we thought it would be quite nice to do a little review of where we've been and the rankings we've done and and perhaps to maybe review one or two of those those ranking decisions and perhaps come back with your bit of uh feedback how many teams have we done so far uh in this season
1: i think we've got up to 28 in the um the 13 episodes that we've had so far so uh, we kind of where we started we we, we try to squeeze three T's at the beginning as soon as we know and uh we, we learned fast. <laughs> There's just far too much to talk about with these teams. So we streamlined like it, it a bit. But, uh, yeah, we're, uh, we've are we got a good little league table of teams. I think it might be worthwhile before we get into the reviewing how we've ranked. Just one more time, go through our rankings again. Because um, I think it took us to about episode seven before we actually really understood it properly.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So right at the top, we have all-time greats, all-time greatness. That's followed by true greats. Then we had Touch of Greatness, which is our kind of middle-ranking category. We then went down to Edge of Greatness. And what we thought was going to be our um, bottom-of-the-heap category, Blink of Greats. But quite early on, we also realized we needed another one, which was the (laughs) not-great-but-without-them-we-wouldn't-be-where-we-are category. Um, Which, in fact, we've got a couple of of teams in there. And I think what kicked this off was probably uh, Liège, wasn't it? And that, and that's really the Bosman story, isn't it?
1: Yeah, episode number one. We had Liège in with um, Liverpool and Sheffield FC, the very first and oldest football team still playing today. Yeah, and we kind of decided with Age, it was an interesting story, but as a team, they hadn't really achieved too much other than being partly responsible for creating what's probably the biggest change in, in football history through uh, not releasing John, Jean-Marc Bosman. And that became the kind of the centre of our conversation. You're right, Graham. We realised that they didn't fit any of the five categories, so right up front in <laughs> Well, there we go, number category number six, and uh, it's our bargain bucket where we can just chuck teams that don't fit the uh, the top five profiles. Uh,
0: I mean, they didn't even make it into Blinker Greats. They weren't even they weren't great enough to be that. But they, um, so yes, the two teams we have in there are, um, uh, which I don't think I'm particularly inclined to to move. That's uh, Liege, and the other team was uh, FC Start, which is the fantastic. It, it's the precursor to our. Um, Glorious escape to victory, isn't it?
1: Well, that's the thing with that that team. I mean, not only is it an incredible story, you've got um, these guys that have been rounded up as prisoners of war, put into concentration camps by the Nazis. Some of them were previously playing professional footballers. Others were doing other types of jobs. They've become a bunch of bakers. They're making food for for the Nazis, the occupiers, and they go on, form a team, and uh, the team's pretty tasty, and they end up beating all before them so their story in its own right is fantastic but we did lean quite heavily on escape to victory as our favorite football <laughs> film and I, I think we couldn't help but just go down that rabbit run really we kind of liked the idea of talking up uh, John Colby of West Ham United and <laughs> in, in, uh mixing up with the great Pelé
0: Though, of course, they were. Uh, I think the other problem we had with that with that side was actually uh, the stories of FC Start were a bit conflicted as to as to what was accurate or otherwise. So we are billing this as a, a relegation and promotion special because we're gonna we're gonna run through these these teams. And um, I think we're going to allow ourselves one each. I think that should be the maximum. Allow ourselves one each team that we can move up or down if we think there has been a wrong somewhere amongst this and of course it's highly possible there are some wrongs because for a large portion of it ourselves and and certainly i guess I have no idea what the categories were <laughs> um so and i should mention you can follow this should you be uh uh at home or, or um Actually, watching, we do uh, have the rankings table available on the chewingwildrover.com website so you can um, see for yourself who you might move. But um,
1: before we get into the blinkered greats, I just want to go back to the uh, the bargain bucket because I, I do mm. have a bit of an issue with FC Start as much as we kind of dismissed them and put, in the, put them in the bargain bucket because you're right, the propaganda that surrounded the team was difficult to pick through what was real and what wasn't real. But the, the escape to victory thing, just I keep coming back to it. I think I always will keep coming back to it. And one of the things I never got the chance to share on the episode was that one of the players who was in escape to victory was a guy called Hella Forsen. He was the tall, blonde Norwegian. Very mm-hmm. good player. Played his career in the Netherlands. Never played in the Norwegian league. Played most of his career in the, um, the Netherlands for FC20 and PSV Eidhoven. But what's amazing about this guy, and this is where the link is really tenuous to FC Start, and it's going to make it a real challenge if I do want to move these up. He was in the team when Norway beat England 2 1 (gasps) in that famous game. And not only was Maggie Thatcher. Maggie Thatcher, indeed. Not only was he in that game, he was the captain of the side, and he scored the decisive winning goal. And the commentary, the full commentary is fantastic. The Maggie Thatcher bit is absolutely the point of reference. This is what your boys took one hell of a bit in. Um, (laughs) But commentary, we'll we'll get it out as a clip and we'll definitely share it after this episode. But I'm just going to bore you and I'm going to go for it because the commentator Mm. is so partisan. You're deep into added time and the commentator is pleading the referee for the final whistle. He's absolutely crying. Referee, blow the whistle. He then makes a reference that the referee has added time to added time to added time. And then he, and he makes this brilliant <laughs> reference because obviously he's he's so desperate to see his team beat this great England side. He then refers to the referee as saying he's close to receiving English citizenship. He's playing for so long. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the whole thing is comedy. And then obviously we get this is football history. The crowd are whistling. They want the game over. This game should have been over hours ago. The referee is adding on time. And then the whistle goes. And then can you remember Graham? The names that he references before he gets to Maggie Thatcher. Oh, okay,
0: yeah. There is someone there's there is someone there's a random they are random, aren't they? It's it's like it's, it's not It's not Lord Mountbatten, is it? it, Close. Is it Beaverbrook? Is it Beaverbrook or something like that?
1: It is. It's (laughs) the first one's Lord Nelson. Lord Nelson. Lord Beaverbrook. Then then he switches and goes a bit political. Sir Winston Churchill. Sir Anthony Eden. (laughs) And then, then he goes into Clement Attlee. And then it gets a real bizarre because he's listed off you know, these historical people and some major Mm. politicians. And it's like Henry Cooper.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I remember Henry Cooper.
1: And and then the final one before he gets to Maggie Thatcher is, because it's 1981, is Lady
0: Diana. Mm. Of course.
1: And then it's the famous Maggie Thatcher. Your boys took one hell of a, hell of a beating. He also goes on about, you know, this is the great around the great boxing bars in Madison Square Garden. Uh, it's fantastic. Um, we will dig the clip out. We will put it on social media. And honestly, it's worth watching for the three minutes because the commentator from Norway is first class.
0: Oh, it's genius! I love the i i, I love the opportunity to bring bring that up. It's still legacy, though, isn't it? It's still without them, this we wouldn't be where we are. It's not. But it doesn't bring that. It doesn't bring FC start into. i don't it. You can move them, but that is glorious.
1: Well, I have added FC start to my list of teams that I would consider to move. So that's the starting place.
0: In the blinker greats, I mean, I would. I mean, I absolutely love the Zaire story, but I just think they are the definition of blinker of greats, aren't they? They, you can't. I think you said you. You, you can't let a team who concede like fifteen goals in in a qualifying. <laughs> Yeah, Shane,
1: yeah, it was Shane on when we did Australia and
0: <laughs> Shane, yeah.
1: In his very, very blunt way, was there's no <laughs> way that this team could be anything other than Blinkered Great. You can't concede hundred goals and be considered anything other.
0: I mean, that one is one of our most entertaining stories, I think, of the of the lot. I think once we get into Edge of Greatness, now we've got six teams in Edge of Greatness, which is our signed kind of category just below the mid ground. I think there's one or two here that maybe I mean, there's one in particular. I think that probably stands out. The six we've got in our um, Algeria the 1982 team. That's the team that's cruelly robbed by the Austrian Germany ball draw. We have Australia 2006, which was uh, Tim Cahill's and that glorious uh, first real World Cup uh, winning side. We have uh, Millioneros, who maybe are a bit unlucky, the Colombian rebel team of 52, 53. Uh, Queens Park, the Almost only Scottish team to win the uh, FA Cup from 1883 to '85. We have Spurs, the glorious David Pleat, uh, which was probably the most entertaining side uh, uh, Spurs I've ever seen, and Clive Allen's 49 goals. But we also have Hamburg. <laughs> i guessing Kevin Keegan's Hamburg, 77 to 88. European Cup winners and their first uh, two leagues I think. Um did you green this for Hamburg? Perhaps a bit harsh.
1: Yeah, they're also managed by the, um, they're not massively well known. Branko Sabic, who deserves his place in history as one of the greatest football coaches of all time. He had some pretty serious problems with the bottle, uh, which ultimately cost him his life. But he had some major success, and uh, he was the Branko Sabic was the first coach to win the Bundesliga with Bayern Munich, and now Bayern Munich, I think, have around about. 38, 39, I don't know, a crazy amount of Bundesliga titles and we just assume they win it all the time. They literally do win it all the time. They've won it for the last 11 years in a row. <laughs> he he was the man that got them started and he was he was an absolute genius. I mean, a hard-nosed coach um, drilled the players. But yeah, you're right, Graham. I think at the time, Hamburg as edge of greatness when they've won a Bundesliga, they've won a European Cup and they also have legacy. I mean, hopefully we'll go on and talk about Hamburg- 81 through to 83, which is a slightly different set of players. Definitely a different manager because Zabek had gone. Um, so they had that legacy. So I think you're, I think you're right to call it out.
0: I think the other thing with that, which we we has only only occurred to me afterwards, that we we talked about Kevin Keegan's difficult first season there, and uh, of course he's probably still recovering from that falling off the bike on Superstars uh, the previous year, 1976. <laughs> so you know we underplay that. We underplay that. It's like. Somehow you can't imagine in the current era. I don't think Pep would let um, Ireland cycle round in superstars anymore, um, which is a bit of a shame. But yeah,
1: or release a pop single.
0: <laughs> yeah. So the um, yeah, I think I think that the that achievement of that Hamburg side we probably undercooked a little bit. I, I have a lot of fondness, and we've had a lot of fun fondness from listeners as well, to that David Cleet Tottenham side, which was extraordinary. Now, that might just reflect the people we know. I don't know. I seem to know a disproportionate number of Spurs fans. But that that definitely, you know, I think they'd be the other side that uh, for aesthetics alone, I mean, I know we put them where we did because they didn't win anything. I'm indebted to uh, Jamie Buckridge, uh, one of our um, listeners who who pointed out, pointed him in the direction of, of Mitchell Thomas scoring two goals against Man United that season, including a Mitchell Thomas overhead kick. And he's denied a hat-trick by hitting the post. It's an extraordinary moment. And that just added another another layer to it. I'd also, I'd also forgotten the shock of of when Chris Waddle went to Marseille for like four and a half million. That, that was like absolutely unheard of. And at a time when, um, I think when Chris Waddle was in his prime, I didn't really... Fully appreciate his uh, his genius. He just like a a wayward winger who <laughs> who failed failed, you know, turned up every now and then. But um, Marseille certainly saw something. Four and a half million for him it was a lot of money at the time.
1: Yeah, he was a special player, and we shouldn't forget it was that period in the um, late eighties where if you wanted European football, you had to go onto the continent to find it because England were serving a suspension at that particular moment, and that's why we saw a lot of players depart. We had Mario on for Tottenham, eighty six, eighty seven. Mario's a season ticket holder, and I don't think he thought of this Spurs team any greater than the edge of greatness. I think he, he, I think he even said that, even though he hates the term, they are incredibly Spursy, mm. and maybe that's where it's come from. However, there is—I can't remember if we mentioned it at the time. Uh, there's an interesting fact, and uh, it's—I I actually will be shoehorning Oxford United into the conversation on this particular. <laughs> Because <laughs> It is, yeah, I've taken your thunder. So we, we talked about when Tottenham played Coventry City on Boxing Day in 1986. They had a bit of a mm. mix-up with the kit. They had a bit of a mix-up with the kit in the FA Cup final as well. So they actually actually played in Coventry City's away kit. So you've got the two Coventry City home and away kits playing. Well, it turns out this has happened quite often through the okay. history of football. And I've learned... I think around in 98 Oxford United who play in yellow went to yeah. play Watford away who play in yellow but didn't take their away kit and and not only did they do that I think it was 6 or 7 years later they went to Barnet who play in orange and again they hadn't taken their away kit and the referee deemed that the clash was too great and Oxford had to play in Barnett's away It or Barnett's Youth Team kit. And I think they did this again a third time, potentially in the same season. I mean, I know you love to talk about Oxford United, and I just would love to know whether any of these things I've just said are actually true. I mean, it feels quite ridiculous that you would make that mistake more than once. Yeah, I'm trying to think if I
0: remember us making that. I definitely remember the Watford one. I definitely remember us uh, playing in their uh, their kit for that one. Barnet, I'm trying to remember. It does. I mean, it does seem an elementary. There's the one thing you know about Watford is they're in yellow. It's pretty obvious. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like they flit around in kits over the years. I'm trying to think of that. That wasn't the year we went down. It might be '88. Might have been the year we. I thought it was. You know I suppose that was the year we went down. So maybe they would just given up. Maybe they maybe just
1: kit, kit man's gone off. Kit, oh, yeah, had, I've had yeah, enough. Yeah. Of
0: <laughs> not one in, not one since uh, January. It's all that. No one
1: ever thanks me for this. I I'll let them swear.
0: <laughs> so I'm trying to think. Out of the others in that group, i mean, it is difficult to make the case uh, for Algeria, Australia. Uh, Queen's Park was a brilliant um, uh, early story. Millionaris, I guess maybe maybe they're a bit hard done by.
1: Yeah, they won a lot of league championships and they also, at the same time, were playing exhibition matches against uh, the teams from Europe, Real Madrid, Barcelona, and they were winning these football matches today. And this is just a few years before the European Cup would start in um, 1955, where Real Madrid will win the first five. So I think their assembling of superstars definitely pitches them into a, a level of greatness it's probably beyond the edge of it because they were winning league titles as well
0: so when we when we go into the next bracket up touch of greatness i think we you know to my eyes there's a couple of teams who may be maybe may unfortunate to have got in there and a couple that look <laughs> a bit hard done by so um uh in that we've got uh the great new york cosmos 77 78 uh featuring pele we have um uh, Hereford United, the uh, cup winner, <laughs> the glorious cup winners. Iceland, uh, 2016, the great uh, Euro side. We have Man City, uh, Aguero's Man City. We did a couple of weeks ago. So, so Aguero's Man City and Hereford, similar teams as well. There's up Portsmouth, uh, the founding teams of them all, Sheffield FC, uh, the Sunland FA Cup winning side the Wales team that got to the World Cup by mistake, 1958, and then West Auckland, who we did only last week. And um, any of those seeming a bit in the wrong place to you?
1: Yeah, there's a couple. I mean, I think at the time I I argued that Hereford Hereford United were no greater than blinkered greatness. I think we got (laughs) carried away with the romance of the FA Cup, A wonderful commentary from John Moxon. And the uh, incredible fashion sense of uh, everyone wearing a Parker uh, running onto the pitch to celebrate Ronnie Radford's amazing goal. I definitely think they should be in consideration, especially if you look at the the bracket below that we just covered, which means these teams are worse. You've got Hamburg, Millonarios, and you know even even Algeria in there. I think also New York Cosmos. I, I think again. I love. I want to talk about New York Cosmos. I think all the time, to be honest, because I think it was just fantastic, and Phil was brilliant on that particular podcast when we covered them with Belgium. But again, I think did we get a bit carried away with the Razmataz and did we put them in a bracket that maybe didn't warrant because uh, they were had the star-studded players? Maybe we we're a bit blinkered by the greatness of the, the players on the pitch than the uh, the quality of what they were. Um, other than that, I think I'm fairly comfortable with everyone else in there. Some really fun teams that we talked about. I think the Wales 58 is a great story because when they did get to the World Cup finals, they did nearly go all the way and beat Pelé's uh, Brazil in the quarterfinals. Uh, but how they got to the World Cup finals in 58 is ridiculous. They didn't qualify by right and only by a absolute quirk of fate were they able to find a path to get there.
0: A couple of people mentioned to me about Hereford, uh, and obviously Hereford is one moment and one glorious bit of running roundford, and 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 there is a bit of a question. And you know, we deliberately try and shy away from. Uh, you know, I'm very proud that we are a VAR-free zone podcast, it's so rare that, that large periods of a podcast aren't uh, taken up by endless debate about the merits of VAR or otherwise. But uh, there is a question as to you know it's it. it Radford, when he wins the ball, he wins it with quite a, quite a taste, quite a meaty tackle. It's, I mean, by 70 standards, it's absolutely fine, but it might, you know, in this day and age, get um, get ruled out. Now, just, you know, people have talked about goals and celebrations. Just imagine, well, the Parkers are all, you know, they're all across the pitch, and they're not but known to them. Stockley Park's doing its thing. <laughs> wouldn't, <laughs> it, that would be horrific, wouldn't it? Uh, The great, uh, you know, arguably one of the greatest moments of football ever could have been overturned by a (laughs) by a a, a little playing back. Has he gone over
1: the top with that tackle? (laughs) Yeah, that would uh, spoil it. Um, You're right, though. I mean, it (laughs) is he he does do well, and he is on an absolute bog of a pitch um, in order to kind (laughs) of just get kind of stabilization to be able to get the back lift that he does. (laughs) It's quite incredible when it's you know on a, a cow's field.
0: So another of the and there is sort of crossover. There's, what I've enjoyed about this podcast has been quite a lot of crossover between teams or players or clubs. That, some of the stories we talked about, and and one of them obviously is Cosmos and uh, the Indian team Mohan Began, who we've um, will come on to in a bit. So uh, I made some great feedback on this, and I I totally missed this, but um, you know the the large part of our. Our story was was talking about the barefoot warriors and their um, amazing triumphs um, in 1919, I think it was um, 1911. But actually, 1911, not even earlier. But Pele's penultimate game ever is a uh, exhibition match played at uh, Eden Gardens in Calcutta. When when I read about this, this is in front of anywhere between 65,000, 90,000. eighty, ninety thousand. I've seen various. So they play, Mohan, he plays, uh, he brings his Cosmos side over to, uh, Mohan, uh, to Calcutta, play against Mohan Began, and apparently absolutely belts down with rain to the extent that they're not sure Pelé will, even, you know, they won't be allowed to play. You know, he's so kind of precious in, uh, at this stage, you know. But he does play, um, he does play half an hour of the, of the game, and um, get, uh, Mohan Began get a very creditable uh, 2-2 draw, and they're quite happy to have kept... Pele, quiet. I mean, he doesn't score, but he does help set up a goal for Carlos Alberto, which is a kind of another reminder of just <laughs> what what a fantastic side this Cosmos was. But you know, it's it, it's great when those kind of kind of worlds collide. And um, reading about what Pele coming and what Cosmos meant to uh, to Indian football and Mohan began and uh, at the time it is just incredible. I have to say.
1: The response was to Mohammed was incredible. Um what we what we got through social media and obviously the amount of downloads in that particular part of the world was incredible. But yeah, and we learned something about the team that we didn't know before, which is brilliant. And Cosmos I we I think we had it in our research, but they were a bit of a traveling band as well. And we mm. focused on the NASL as where they applied and did their thing with Pele and Co but they were a team that would go off and travel around the world play exhibition football matches really selling the brand not just of New York com- Cosmos but also of the North American Soccer League as it was trying to establish itself as a serious player um so yeah they they were traveling to all four corners of the world playing these ex- exhibition games another theme
0: or a common theme in this player, there's a, a player who was a strand across uh, the f- almost all our first few podcasts would crop up in somewhere or another. The three teams. There is a there's a link which is the the great John Charles, who obviously played up front for Wales uh, in the 1958 team, and uh, who was the manager uh, in the previous season. He'd be manager, player manager at Hereford United. So John Charles has been there, and of course the scorer of uh, Cosmos' second goal in uh, in that. Uh, draw with Mohan began with was Giorgio Cingaglia or I can, still can't pronounce Genaglia. it Cingaglia hey, hey. I'm getting back, it's much better than we did first time around and, and he was essentially a kind of John Charles copy wasn't he, you know, on the one hand like Welsh, Italian uh, played his football in Wales played a similar style to um, uh, John Charles in Italy before then becoming an absolute legend with for Cosmos
1: he really was the big lad up front, um, and very effective. The, the amount of goals that uh, Ginaglia scored is just absolutely breathtaking. Just like John Charles, applied himself in the North American Soccer League, primarily. Well, they had that spell in Lazio, as so we spoke about around the ball. pod. But you're right, yeah. John Charles did crop up, um, and the, the Hereford thing was a real surprise because it's something that escaped me. I'd never realised that John Charles had even gone into football management, uh, and to learn that he was there at Hereford, you know, recruiting. Great goalkeepers such as David Icke um, was a, <laughs> was a bit of a surprise, yeah. I'm
0: desperate for us to do Tramir Rovers the late 70s so we can get Ray Stubbs in there, but um, I might have to think about that a bit. Um, in the true greats, so we have, we have five who ended up in true greats. of oh, Mourinho's Inter, the treble winners. Uh, Mohan, began, who we just talked about, the extraordinary team there. We have River Plate from 4147. Uh, who we did last week, and then there's a couple of teams I guess who uh, neither of them won that much, but um, maybe it's just maybe it's just their appeal, the way they play, uh, appeals to us on an international level. And That's um, Belgium's <laughs> failed golden generation of 2016 to 21, and then the <laughs> 1988 Netherlands side, and um, I, I, I mean you keep coming back. It's the Tottenham argument again. Did they win enough?
1: Well, I mean, it's the only thing this the Netherlands have ever won is the, the Euros at 88. They've lost well, in yeah. three World Cup finals. They've been to loads of semi finals. They make the latter stages, but then they can be absolutely horrendous and not even qualify for major football tournaments. It, it's a strange relationship the Netherlands has with international football because you feel that they are... One of the, the the top table teams, and and rightly so for their contribution through history, um, especially when you look at players in the nineteen seventies and the style of football for Jan Korg. But again, they they've never really been able to dominate. And Belgium, well, they they fit in a lower bracket. I mean, Belgium are a much smaller country, and we talked about this. And I I think they've punched above their weight through the history of football. But this particular team, I I thought it was special i think i made a mistake with my ranking i think i was going to put them in true greats originally but i think on the the evening i said all-time greats and um (laughs) i I think i think both you and phil rightly put me in my place because i haven't won anything even though their statistics were quite incredible i just want to go back to the netherlands though one thing i forgot to mention this Mm. doesn't happen very often so when the netherlands won euro 1988 sorry eighteen eight nineteen eighty eight. 1988 God, decades, go decades. <laughs> yeah, they in qualification they played Cyprus. They won that game eight 0 and a guy called John Bosman scored no relations to Mark Bosman. Um, scored mm. five goals, and I think through those five goals he ended up being the top goal scorer of the qualification phase. But uh, a, a missile, a projectile was thrown onto the pitch, and it landed in close proximity to the Cypriot goalkeeper who may have been injured by the, the missile that was thrown down there was a mini explosion the keeper gone down and then the game is held up and then um it restarts but then you wait for a null the game and I forgot to mention this on the night there's not many instances where a football match is annulled especially when you've got a team that's mm. won a deal and I'm just I can't help but think as a As a guy who's played football in the forward positions and loves scoring goals, if you score five goals in a football match and you get the governing (laughs) body tell you, well, they don't count, mate. You can't have them, I'm afraid. No, you can't put them on your Wikipedia page because it doesn't count. We've been that one. You're going to be a bit gutted, aren't you? Because they they did win the rematch, but they didn't win it by eight goals and Bosman didn't score anywhere near the five goals. I think he chipped in with just the one.
0: So you might find this difficult to believe, but um, here's my opportunity to... um bring it back to uh oxford united and top goal scorers. so so james constable is the uh second highest uh scorer for um for oxford i need i should get i'll dig out the figures um he scored a hat-trick against uh chester in uh, a glorious winning on on league days and um that goal uh that game was uh chester then went out of business the goal uh the goals were um uh, expunged, I think the word the yeah. phrase is. Um, with those goals, he would be Oxford United's uh, leading scorer, and without them, he's he's the second top scorer, <laughs> which is harsh, isn't it? I think it's really harsh. I had forgotten the um, <laughs> I temporarily forgotten the Netherlands won that tournament in eighty eight, and weirdly, I was watching. I saw it. It must be just recently the anniversary, might even be today, the anniversary of, of Van Basten's volley, which I swear has, he's gone a further 20 yards out towards the touchline and the byline. I remember it as being a fantastic volley, but oh, that is
1: that is an unbelievable volley, isn't it? it's breathtaking the angle is ridiculous but aesthetically it's stunning as well because the way he catches the ball in midair and the flight of the ball I mean it's like a bullet and a dip as well at the end it's almost like if you were to try to put it in by drawing a straight line into the net you couldn't perfect it anymore it's absolutely stunning it really is but I don't know if you remember on the night because I, I, I've read this um Van Basten had i spoken about it mm-hmm. and maybe he was being modest. I mean, he, he was fairly, for such a high-profile player, he was a fairly low-profile individual. But yeah. he just said at the time, he was just so tired. He didn't have much energy to do anything mm-hmm. other than just lever at it and hope for the best. I mean, he's probably being fairly modest because he had the technical brilliance to do exactly what he did there. And he did, you know, those things quite often, especially when he was playing AC Milan. But um I, I just thought it was a really humble account of one of the greatest goals you've ever seen. And it really is one of the greatest goals you, you, you would have seen in terms of a volley. It's just stunning to look at.
0: Oh, it's the thing of beauty. So yeah, on that list I'm happy with I'm happy with everyone else. Belgium, I I wonder if he got a bit carried away on that one. I wonder if they're a little fortunate to be on true greats. Um <laughs> but dunno, don't know, dunno. Don't know. And then, and then we got our all time, our Just all time breaks. We oh yeah,
1: yeah. I know, I know, we've talked about, him, but I think what we should think about doing is probably doing a bit of a a more detailed um, view on Mohan Began. I mean, I think mm. they were coupled with Jamie Wilson about the great Harry Redknapp Portsmouth team that won the FA Cup in two thousand eight, and then we kind of tagged Mohan Began on the end for about a twelve mm. fifteen minute well, because we were intrigued. We love the story. We think it's fascinating. But the response we got was incredible. So I think it's worthy that at some point in the season two, we find a way not only to explore Mohan a little bit more and maybe repeat that team, um, which is something we don't really want to do, but I feel we need to get. A better representation than maybe somebody in from uh, who's got a bit of insight to talk about. I think that would be a wonderful opportunity to learn more about this incredible football team and this feat of winning the IFA Shield in uh, 1911.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely so, definitely so. They were denied a place in our top tier all star all time greats, and I think I, I don't think there's too many complaints complaints here. We had um, the unbelievable Dicker ladies. Uh, a genuinely pioneering, groundbreaking women's football. Uh, it's so good. They they banned women's football for 50 years <laughs> after that. The FA, that sort of tells its own story. The Brazil 1970 World Cup winning side, which he managed to do in about 25 minutes. Uh, yeah. It could have given hours It'll, and hours.
1: We probably did spend enough time on that team, but I say, me, these things happen.
0: <laughs> um, and then we have the two. Um, with the two Merseyside uh, sides, very different, but the Everton and Liverpool, Everton eighty four eighty five, 45 the have H- Kendall's first uh, championship winning side and then that Liverpool side with the I just remember them playing unbelievable football, the, the Beardsley um, Beardsley-Barnes and um, Aldridge and um, Rayhausen extraordinary side and, and I'm going to say probably Nottingham Forest, uh, the 77-78 winners, so I've got he pointed out to me several times. I, I think I got. I I think I call them Nottingham Forest as much as Knots Forest, but I, you know, I I I I, I was I be it has been pointed out to me that Knots Forest is not acceptable. <laughs> that it is Nottingham Forest.
1: Yes, it, or not. Um...
0: Yeah, <laughs> we. I think what's definitely true about that uh that team, that was very early that was the one of the one of the first pods that we did and we probably i think because we were trying we were sort of trying to avoid going down to um a stereotypical path but we probably undercooked uh, brian club's contribution to that uh, although he kind of underpins everything uh that was a legendary team and i think there's been a lot of love for that northern forest side ever since and Oh, I, if you had to, if you had to put one of those, if you had to put one of those five right at the top, if you, if you could only oh, have, wow. if there was only room, if there was only room for one in the all-time greats, <laughs> so great uh, out of those
1: now, <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> season champion. I don't know. I uh, it would have uh, for me. I think. I mean, that uh, I, I love Howard Kendall's Everton, and I love uh, that Liverpool side, but. I think it. I think for me, it's between Forest. I'd be pitting Forest against um, against Brazil, nineteen seventy, for the top spot.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Well, I can definitely rule one of them out immediately um, without having (laughs) any worries. Which leaves me with both Nottingham, Nottingham Forest, and Brazil. I, I really like you, Graham. I absolutely. Love the Everton team. At the time, I was a youngster watching them, um, 84, 85, but they were just breathtaking. And I think they came along at a time where, as a Manchester United fan who, you know, was seeing the odd cup triumph every once in a while, very fleetingly, it was just a breath of fresh air to see another team come along and kind of upset the uh, the apple cart of Liverpool's domination and do it in such a stylish way. And uh, a young team as well with fantastic players, really exciting players. And um, I mean, Gail. Talking Dick Kerr, ladies, was just, I mean, such a great story, an incredible achievement. And it's not just what they did on the pitch and their legacy, it's the amount of money they were raising off it. But yeah, I mean, it's a really good question. I think I would probably go Brazil 1970 purely on football and achievement and what it means to see football in color for the first time ever as well. Not that Football I was in terror right. color. Technicolor, yeah. I think we put it Technicolor, didn't and we? We put
0: it in technicolor, technicolor in every sense.
1: Yeah, it it is stunning. So, yeah, I mean, if we're creating a um, a special category for the best team of all time, based on the teams that we've looked at so far, I would go Brazil 1970. And I, I think I would probably be uh, sharing the views of many others with that one.
0: Yeah, fortunately, we don't have to do that. But we we have tasked ourselves with this special prize pick the opportunity to move to promote relegate one of these sides from from a category now um
1: so great can i just be get some clarity on this are we are we yeah. promoting one each and are we relegating one each or are we just promoting one or relegating one and we, I think we it's, I right. think it's
0: one pick, one pick. You can move one either up or down. A so, <laughs> so you, right. that is. So I've no. Oh, well, I think I'm. Oh, I think I'm ready to. <laughs> uh,
1: well, if you're ready, I don't like to. Uh, yeah, I think you should go. <laughs> for, because I'm still stumbling it still through the list again. So
0: I am going to do it because I do think um and i uh, and I was the one who got them up there, I think I think I carried them up, but I just think when I look at the, these teams are great, I just Hereford has touched greatness, Hereford being better that Hereford side, glorious though they are, I mean they are my favorite story of all, but um you know, on a par with the man city behind. I mean, even that, even David Pleat's Tottenham are behind are behind them, and it's a great moment for Ronnie Radford. But and I do think at the time, I did I did a bit exploit. I think Scott, I think Scott really meant a different category when he uh, when he opted for true greats, and I, I sort of jumped on it. So uh, I think I think I would probably use my my um my um editor's pick to uh to to move hereford down to uh edge of greatness i think that is probably where they belong it should be an opportunity to bring people up but um i, I just think that's probably probably rights or wrong <laughs>
1: I, I'm still going to stick by, and I don't want to alienate people from Hereford uh, disliking me too much, but it's, it's a wonderful story, but I still think Edge of is one too many for a, <laughs> It, it really, really is a blinker. I mean, we shouldn't forget they got promoted to the Football League through some kind of odd system. They didn't even win the league where they got promoted. It was the influence of their FA Cup run. Um, <laughs> but, you. you, <laughs> you, you, you. I mean, of course, there's nothing to
0: stop your choice being to take them down again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, wow, that would be super cool. I think I will have absolutely no friends in Hereford ever again if I were to do that. I, I think in the interests of balance, as you're taking Hereford down, I think I'm going to bring one up, and I think the one I'm going to bring up mm-hmm. is Hamburg.
0: I think that feels, that feels a correct call. Hamburg, I think. Yeah, it was. It, it was. It, it was closer. Actually, we, we, Paul, we, 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 we've overturned two of Scots. That's harsh. It's harsh. But I think we all we, we all had Hamburg in that. Um, we had, had Hamburg in that sort of un, slightly underachieving category, and I'm not really sure why. So, I think it does feel as though uh, Hamburg's place is at the very least touch of greatness. I I think I can. I can get behind you on that one as well. Belgium are saved for another day. I mean, I, we're not going into it. I thought they were the ones going down, but um, they've survived it. But um, I think Hamburg going up is a uh, is a very reasonable, very reasonable choice. Jamie,
1: are you happy with our business today? Yeah, I think we've balanced out the list as, as well as we can under the rules that we kind of have employed and put upon ourselves and governed ourselves um, rather than upsetting the uh, the list too much. So I think that, that makes sense. I, I think we've corrected a couple of wrongs that we made earlier in the season. And um, I'm very happy that Roberto Martinez's Belgium survived the uh, mm-hmm. the last day drama of being relegated.
0: So, of course, if you're listening to this pod for the first time or uh, just stumbling, you can hear all our uh, deep more, far more detailed pods about these various sides. We talked about all 28. We talked about in this opening season of uh, By Far the Greatest Team Football Podcast. Uh, we have loads of details on our slightly uh, complicated and sophisticated ranking system. You can find far, um, uh, loads of details on the website chewingthewildrover.com. And we're on social, so um you can find us at uh, by far greatest FC on uh Twitter and uh myself at uh said and done and uh Jamie you're at uh, couch pundito and on other ch- other channels as well.
1: Yeah, we have an Insta following, um, so by far the greatest team, and uh, we're really catching up with the whole kind of social media thing, and we're just getting a Facebook page as well. So uh, we really are becoming (laughs) grown-ups.
0: So we're going to have a – that's it for our regular podcast during this season. We've got a small uh, break. We will be back in time – for the uh, start of the EFL, I think it is, uh, as they like to call it these days, the second tier and below, as I like to call it. Um, <laughs> so we'll be back then, but we will, uh, we are going to disappear completely over the summer. So we are going to be doing some, uh, some mini pods, some pre season friendlies, so where we're going to go through a few of those. Uh, smaller teams uh, just to keep things ticking over and keep ourselves in practice in the meantime we would absolutely love to hear from you if there are any teams that you think we should be doing especially slightly random ones we the more random the better we enjoy those t- types of stories you're obviously familiar with a lot of the top stories but we'd absolutely uh love to hear from you on any of those so do get in touch at the uh at the contact details we have and just pass on and jamie you think you're going to say something
1: well i was going to say as well i mean we're on that we're always in, encouraging and looking out for new guests as well so if you do fancy coming on and joining us a guest and you've got a team you want to talk about please drop us a line and uh, let us know the team and uh, whether you're interested in coming along and uh, sharing your thoughts on that team as well we do have a Kind of a schedule that we're mapping out for season two. We think it's going to be quite exciting, but we are happy to change that if you guys want to come on and uh, share your thoughts about a team that you feel strongly about. But that was it, really, Graham. So uh, that's kind of us wrapping up. How are you? Uh, how are you spending your summer?
0: I'm. Uh, I'm just getting in touch with a few of the uh, my former Leicester colleagues and heading to Lamanga for a uh, a ride this weekend. We're just trying to get Dennis Wise into the WhatsApp group as we speak.
1: Yeah, he never likes to accept these things, does he? <laughs>
0: <laughs> what about yourself? What are you doing?
1: Well, just lots of heavy research, kind of investing for season two. No, I'm going to take some downtime. We've got the tour um, starts on the weekend. I'm really looking forward to that. That will pretty much take up my time in July um, with a bit of the ashes. And I think that will be be me, um, really, as uh, as we go into the new football season in just five weeks' time.
0: Five weeks' time, so we will be back. Uh, we'll be back next week. You don't get, you don't escape from us that uh, that quickly. We'll be back with our full regular podcast in uh, five weeks' time. If you have enjoyed the podcast, please like us. Please subscribe to us. Please uh, tell your friends. If that doesn't sound too desperate, and we will see you again for the new season.